This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 493. And the quote of the day is, The charm of history and its enigmatic lessons consist in the fact that, from age to age, nothing changes, and yet everything is completely different. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, 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 what's going on? Nick Ruffini here, episode 493 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and we are getting close to the 500th. And we're doing a huge giveaway for the 500th episode, all tons of all, all types of gear and all sorts of fun stuff. So I will be making that announcement this week, so the week of, of the 10th. So make sure you're following Drummer's Resource on Instagram and on Facebook, and then also that you're part of the mailing list. And you can just sign up for the mailing list by going to drummersresource.com, and there'll be a little box that pops up, or just click on mailing list up on the up on the top menu, and you can sign up for that. So you don't miss it. We're giving all types of stuff away, like not just like one or two things. We're talking about stuff from LP and DW and Big Fat Snare Drum and Promark and Evans and Dream Symbols and and some other surprises too. So definitely want to – I can't believe we're – you definitely want to check that out, but I can't believe we're almost at 500 episodes. It, it blows my mind. Uh, so let's get into the 493rd episode with my man Adam Deitch. And this is Adam's second appearance on the podcast. And – I'm super excited to have him back for a couple reasons. One, his first episode that we did, uh, I don't know what I did, but it was all distorted and everything, and I almost didn't release it because I didn't think it sounded very good, but everyone said to release it anyway because there was a ton of information in there, a ton of great knowledge in there. So we released it, so this one sounds a lot better, uh, first of all. Second of all, it's been years since he's been on, so obviously Adam is constantly evolving, so the conversation evolves, and he has moved recently from, or not recently, a couple years ago, uh, New York to Colorado, so we talk about all that. And also, he is hands down one of my favorite drummers. I've always appreciated his sort of pushing the pushing the envelope forward in terms of electronic music, but always honoring that tradition of old school funk and soul. And I think part of that is growing up in the family he did, and we talk about all that as well. So just super excited to have him back, and I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let's get into it with the one and only Adam Deitch. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't forget there's going to be a sound clip at the end because I'm going to start putting sound clips in every episode. So be sure to stick around at the end of the, at the end of the conversation and check out a, a little solo from Adam too. So I'm sure you'll dig it. Adam, what's happening, man? Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Nick. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. I was just, I was wondering, I don't know when, I mean, you were on, I don't even I don't even remember what episode it was, but it was a, a few years ago that you were on. So, lot yep. definitely uh definitely lots to talk about. I think even the last time you were on, I think you were still living in New York. That's very possible. Yeah, so how long ago did you move to Colorado? 5 years. Okay, so that's about when you were <laughs> the last time you were on. So, um so definitely lots happening. I actually let's. I want to start there. I want to. We don't. You know, obviously, we're not going to get into like backstory stuff because we talked about that before. Um, I want to talk about the Colorado scene because I, th- I, I'm guessing 
that you would agree with this, that there's a scene that's really happening in, in Colorado right now, specifically like, I'm guessing like the Denver area. Is that where it's happening? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the word is, the, is hush, you know, don't tell everyone how great it is, but right. I mean, it's really, it's, it's really happening. I mean, you know, I would say London is the, the epicenter of like electronic music and, and a lot of the music that we play in the States, you know, all the, all the stuff that came out. And I feel like Denver is kind of like the U S capital of, of like the sort of like electronic boom that happened, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, New York was always ahead of the curve, but like there's something going on here. It's really special with the artists from all styles, like flourishing here. Mm-hmm. And, and now there's a funk scene and there's, there's a little bit of, you know, it's a jazz scene. I'm tonight. I'm going to straight ahead night at metal arc, which is, uh, you know, you go up there and you swing spang rang, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm I look forward to doing that every Monday. There's, bunch of jazz hangs and then wednesday is a like a electronic meets live night at cervantes so that's incredible mm-hmm. and then you have red rocks which is every artist in the world playing there selling out every night right and um you know all that crowd comes into denver after those shows and becomes part of the scene right so it just makes uh you know everyone throwing after parties or dj sets or whatever you're doing Jazz trio, you know, everyone's doing well. Everyone right. has people at their shows, which is more than, you know, I could say I, I played a lot of shows for, for five people in New York, you know? So, of course, yeah. You know, I feel like it's easier to get a crowd out here happening. Mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering, I mean, is it, so you're saying that like these, uh, these venues in towns, in, in town, like have walk-in, they have walk-in traffic that, just comes in instead, like you said, instead of playing in New York, and it's like yeah, unless you go out and bring out all these people in, there's not going to be anybody there. Right. It's not like that. People love to go out to see music here. It's like it's like you know if if they're not skiing or snowboarding, you know they're they're going to shows. It's like they're two passions, you know. Right. Uh, I would say generally for a youth from like age eighteen to forty, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people people are going to see you know music and that's what they do here and they you know you don't have to beg them to come out like you do in other places you know and but you know like i would say like for a starting band you know like I, i've done some like new projects here and like different sort of jams with different cats and it's it's like they're just like ready to go people are ready to go at all times you know so i, I love it and and the promoters the club owners all the venues here are top notch. Like, you know, the security, like, everyone that works, the bartenders, like, I, they're all super cool, and it's one big family. That's amazing. That's amazing. I grew up uh, in a town, Westchester, Pennsylvania, and it, uh, it, it's totally. It was the same vibe. Like, there's definite opportunity to like have a career sort of in town you know what i mean like there was all these different venues you could you could put a band together and you could play like you know within a 35 40 minute radius you could be in philly you could be in westchester you know all that stuff was all right there and and then like when i moved to new york and i was like man it's not it's just it's not that it's not that vibe and i was wondering is that you know is that a thing of the past that it's that it's not possible to do that kind of stuff anymore but it seems like it is if you find the right if you find the right city to do it if you find the right niche and you're in with the right crew, like, you know, 
all those guys playing all the jazz clubs in New York, or they're, they're doing well. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, of course, like, you know, artists like Robert Glasper and Chris Dave and all those guys, they, they do really well. And Corey Henry and all those guys. So right. there's still a scene there and, and it's still beautiful. And, you know, when I go back, I, I you know, I, I love it, you know, but, uh, it, it's a different thing. It's a different thing here. It's like, it's like a, a culture boom or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. What, what uh, prompted you to move because of that scene that was happening there? Or you just wanted to like, change the scenery so, or? Every show I did out here, starting with playing with Lettuce in 2010, our first show was at Cervantes, and we sold sold that out. And we weren't selling out shows on our own then. Mm-hmm. We were we were opening for Soul Lab mostly, so we didn't know what we could do on our own. And we came to Denver, and this crowd was like dancing and going crazy. And we're like this, and then I, and you know, like then we'd hang for a few days, and I'd be like, I have to fly back to New York. I'd be like, Why am I going back? Like what? Like it's kind of like you know, it, it gives you a lot of confidence that you can make it out here, you know, and, right. and, and people really appreciate music and, and you know, kind of like, you know, like New Orleans, like where you mm-hmm. feel like the, the general populace loves music, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whereas I started to feel like, you know, New York has a musician scene, but I feel like a lot of the people in New York are, you know, or into like more of the clubs, like, you know, clubs and like, you know, just going out to a club, seeing a DJ, going home, you know, right. like those sort of VIP things, you know, and mm-hmm. like, whereas here people go to venues for fun, you know, like, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just loving it. I still love it. And, you know, there's other great places in the States to, to be, but this is definitely a good one. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned New Orleans and like, if you look at New Orleans, New Orleans is obviously like, it's a, it's a party town, but and I, I don't say that with like a negative connotation. It's just like you go to New Orleans to have fun, right? Yeah, it's a and, different kind of town. I mean, like Vegas is a party town, but there's no right. music culture. So right. it's a party town based on music culture, music yeah. and food and, and art. You know, mm-hmm. that's New Orleans. So it's 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 a, a cultured party town, if you will. Yeah. And the the interesting thing about New Orleans, like, you know, you can take your drinks with you and you can you can drink in public and all that. And I wonder, like, OK, let's make a comparison. Is it, it do you think that Colorado, do you think it's because of the cannabis boom that was happening there? At, like, does that have anything to do with it? You know, it absolutely does. It attracted yeah. thousands upon thousands of kids that wanted to work in the industry and and businessmen that wanted to be here and and uh it gave all like the, the dispensary owners the power to like throw events mm-hmm. and, like, you know, we, we just, you know, we just break science just released uh, our own strain wow. of, uh, of cannabis it's called the, the, uh, what's it called? The bioscience. Nice. And, uh, so, and lettuce has one too called the lettuce funk with the same uh, dispensary, uh, Denver Kush club. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they throw events and like, we'll play a show and like promote the, the strain. And, and it's like, you know, being a New Yorker where I had to like, you know, really hide, hide that, you know, it's like here, it's like legal, like it should be. And like, you know, it's, it's part of the culture. So yeah, definitely, I definitely had a lot to do with it. I think. It amazes me and we don't have to go down this road, but it amazes me that there's people who are in prison for years and then like, you can go to Colorado and just, and it's yeah, legal. like it's legal here. Like I live in LA now. Like it's, that's a, you know, yeah, that's a huge topic right now. Like, you know, like, you know, it has a lot to do with race, has a lot to do with like, you know, black people are still locked up for a, for a joint or yeah. a, uh, having a, a couple of grams of weed. They're still in jail 
and these white people are out here making all this money, which is, you know, from, from cannabis. And it's like, it's a total disparity and it's totally wrong, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it's got, it's got to get fixed. And, and hopefully like through people kind of unifying and like helping to, you know, help first helping these people get out that, that are locked up for like a tiny weed offense, you know, right. dude, I, this, I guess it was maybe two months ago or something like that. Uh, my wife always watches a show live PD. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but, uh, so it's kind of, it's basically like cops, but they do, it's all live. Right. So we were driving home and we drive right by this place down the street from my house called herb or herba it's called. And it's yeah. a, you know, it's a legal dispensary. We come in, turns on the TV, live PDs on, and there's some kid in Texas that gets arrested for like, he has like a little tiny bit of weed yeah. and they're like, and he's like, this dude's going to go to jail for however long because he has this. And I was like, what? I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like we can literally walk down the street and go buy weed for free. And I don't even smoke. And I'm like, I think it's great. You know? Yeah. And it's, it, it, it's, there's a huge issue going on and there's a lot of people, you know, angry about it. There's a lot of people that, that really are working hard to change um, past offenses for weed in legal States. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's a crazy disparity, but hopefully we can bring some attention to it. And, and, get people to organize, you know, and, and legalize, you know, right. that's the point. And they, they just, uh, decriminalized, uh, psilocybin, uh, mushrooms. Yeah. I saw that in Colorado, right? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. I don't know if I ever thought that in my lifetime I would see that be decriminalized, you know? Yeah. So on to the uh, psychedelic, uh, realm of lettuce now these days. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, I was thinking your music's getting a little out there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a, it's an important topic. And I also, I also think that it's, it's sort of part of our culture as musicians, right? And not that whether it's good or bad, but like, you know, drug use in general, I don't think is, uh, I, I don't think anyone would be surprised to hear that that is part of, of the music culture on some level. Uh, and I think that like, you know, if you're going to, if you're, if you want to smoke weed, I think you should be able to smoke weed. Absolutely, you know, man. You I know? totally, I totally and, I, and I think that us musicians, I think musicians in general can bring more, uh, can bring more awareness to it. And, Absolutely. and that's what I'm trying to do. That's, yeah. uh, I think it should be normalized. Like, I mean, everyone's seen the, uh, the videos of the kid who's having seizures and they rub some, you know, some oil, some, you know, cannabis, whatever o- ointment on him and, he, and the seizure stops immediately. That's crazy. Like, you know, that this is really real stuff. So it's like, if there's some kid in Texas that's like having seizures and, and like, you know, convulsions and they could stop from just a little bit of like that butter that you rub mm-hmm. on you for a minute. Like, God, we got to fix this. You know, yeah. We really gotta fix this. Yeah. I went to a high school or I went to high school with a, um, a guy who his name's Derek Morgan. He played, uh, played for the Texas Titans. Or Tennessee Titans, Texas Titans. I don't know. Anyway, Tennessee. Tennessee Titans, and uh, and he is now advocating for use of of marijuana or cannabis and like CBD and all that kind of stuff for NFL yep. players for, for injury recovery. Yeah. Totally, it helps. It's it's real science. It's real. They're just right. like they're just denying it, like they're denying climate change. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. People are like, "What am I listening to?" <laughs> 
Yeah. But I think I think this is important, you know. I think it's important yeah, to talk I mean, about. So, I mean, you look at the grateful history of the Grateful Dead, you know, I mean like how much did the Owsley, you know, era of like acid affect their whole scene? Mm-hmm. It's huge. The answer is hugely. And like I've been researching that whole thing and like it's really interesting, you know, and I've become friends with Billy Kreutzman over the years, you know. Oh wow. And uh, he's a super cool guy. He introduced me to Mickey a, a couple months ago. Mickey was pretty cool too. Awesome. And um, yeah, have you like, read Mickey's book? I, I haven't read his book yet. No, he has a book called um, I forget. I'll text it to you. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. I read it years ago. Um, I can't remember, but I'll I'll, I'll text it to you if you want to check yeah. it. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff, man. Like how they combine that whole culture and like people were like awakening out of like you know, the fifties and the early sixties and they were getting to something different mm-hmm. and, it, and, and they were the band that represented that culture, you know, and like, yeah. uh, and it's going strong as ever today, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Phil Lesh sold out Redbox on his own, you know, like, right. and he's, he's 70 something. It's awesome. So it's just, it's, it, they're incredible and they're still healthy and they're still very happy guys, yeah. you know? Yeah. So and they, you know, I didn't grow up listening to them. I was into like, you know, Earth and Fire, it's Stevie Wonder, but and you know now it's like I respect them so much and what they created, and I'm kind of like you know looking at them as as sort of like heroes at this point because they mm-hmm. really created something beautiful and they've affected so many generations of people and 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 it's just it's a beautiful thing what they've done. Yeah, what's your what's your opinion or thoughts about the comparison of of Grateful Dead and Fish? Um, uh, you know, fish is more Zappa fish is, you know, Trey, Trey and those guys are, are Zappa heads. Yeah. They, they took a lot of Zappa's wildness, you know, and his, his, his compositionary cause that word compositional. Sure. I mean, whatever. We just made it up. <laughs> you know, like they, they added that, you know, with the touch of the grateful dead sort of family atmosphere. And we're not, we're, we're going to play for four hours straight, no opening band. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they had their own way of doing it and they borrowed a little bit of the Grateful Dead, but a lot of Zappa. Whereas the Dead is coming from like almost a bluegrass place because Jerry was a bluegrass dude. Interesting. But then Jerry started playing with like, you know, some really funky cats in San Francisco and he brought that to the band also. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're totally different animals, but um, yeah. I, I look up to both of them and what they created. I was, I was watching a... Uh... A thing with Quest, or like an Instagram live with Quest Love, uh, just a couple of days ago, and he was talking about about fish. And so I, I guess someone had asked him about it, but his whole thing was they started going to fish shows because they couldn't figure out how this band. He was like, it was early in the roots days, and we, you know, we weren't making enough money, or like we would go on tour and come home and not have, you know, not profit anything on the tour. I know and, that. I know yeah. that very well. Yeah, <laughs> and they were trying. You made a couple hundred bucks a night and you didn't, you know, it's right. like, it's, it's tough on the soul. Yeah. You know, uh, well, let's talk about that. I want to talk about that in a second. Um, and, he, and he was just saying, we were trying to figure out how they were, they were able to tour and sell out these big places, but like, they didn't have a radio hit. They weren't doing, you know, he's like, for us, we had to do like remixes and, and, you know, work with this other artist and tour with these other people or do stuff in the studio. And how are these guys doing it? And they actually like pulled... I don't want to speak, I don't want to put words in, in his mouth, but basically he was saying we took a couple of the elements of stuff that they did to use in our own, 
you know, because they, they seem like they had it, they had it figured out. And he was like, you know, they play now they sell out Madison square garden 13 nights in a row have never had a radio hit, you know? Yeah. It's incredible. And and the dead uh, did the same thing, you know? Yep. Yep. And uh, it's pretty wild, you know, like they, they outbid Billy Joel for like, you know, it's like, you know, Billy Joel had like, like so many radio smashes worldwide. And like, here's this band that, is just blowing people's minds and you know, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. But more power to the roots. And I'm so happy that, that they got, got the Fallon gig late night gig and like they're doing so well. And, and now when they play, they, you know, you know, they're happy. You can tell that they're, they're, you know, they're doing good. And like, it would have been so sad if they broke up and like, and just remember, remember the roots. Like I'm so glad that didn't happen you know yeah. like they're so important to the scene and what we what we're about and like just for everybody they, they are the quintessential hip-hop band of, of our generation you know for sure and i it, i think that it's interesting to me that a lot of people like they weren't on the radar for some people before they got on Fallon. i guess for me they always were because i'm from philly so like yeah i just knew who they were and i think i've said it time and time again like i think black thought is the hands down the best mc of all time that's just my yeah he's the greatest freestyler of all time yeah i would i would agree with that Uh, i mean like no one can deal with he'll he'll freestyle for an hour and a half and with nothing pre-written right um right you know that funk master flex thing that he did i guess it was like two like last year i think it was that was was proof that was that was the absolute proof that (laughs) everyone you know everyone's been saying that for years but when he came out with the funk flex thing it was like done deal Here's your trophy. You win. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely insane. And I was just like, I was like, all right, that just confirms everything uh, that I've always it, said about Yeah, to think that him and Questlove started the band as street performers in Philly, you yeah. know, just played on the street, you know, drums and a mic, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just, like, this is an incredible story. Yeah. So you would mention um, about touring. I think it's important to talk about the, the financials that go into that go into touring like we don't have to obviously discuss numbers but i don't think that i think that when somebody sees a band and they're like oh they're playing at all these venues they have a bus like they're they're killing it yeah not necessarily not necessarily the case always right (laughs) or like or there's a lot more that goes into it that people i mean it's it's really my tour it's like you might do really well one tour and the next Mm -hmm. tour it's like whoops like i guess uh didn't do so well you know so if it's a fluctuating business and like you know when you first get out there and you first get on the road you know if you're not careful if you're not cutting cutting out like uh the food budget or cutting out like you know getting a tour manager that also can tech and also can you know like finding that guy as as Mm -hmm. opposed to four guys that are and then and you have, you know, you got management, you got the booking agent cut, and you have the the uh, a business agent which does all your right. numbers and taxes and everything. So by the end, of, by the end of all that, it's like you're not left with a lot. You know, you're left with right. you know a pretty, you know, just get by some. But you know, again, it's a labor of love, and like it's what we want to do. And at the end of the day, it's like we are the, the controllers of our destiny and that's what we wanted to do. And mm-hmm. we had to go through a few years of 
of not making money as a band. And luckily we, we all proved that we can make money as musicians as, as on our own. Right. And that's what the hiatus was about, you know, cause we started 25 years ago, but honestly we started like eight years mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. You know, when we all came back from our gigs, when Schmeens came back from Lady Gaga and Robert Randolph and Nigel did Robert Randolph and John Cleary and, Jesus was a session guy in LA doing every, everything, Dr. Dre, Lil Wayne, Eminem. Um, Benny, the trumpet player, is like Mr. New Orleans playing with everybody. He could be in any band he wanted right now. Like, just, you know, going from gig to gig, making tons of money. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, Ryan Zoidis had, had his own band that was doing really well. And he was basically a member of Soul Live, and, and they were doing pretty good. So, you know, like everyone proved that they could go on their own and pay their rent and live. Right. And we we're like, why can't we do this together and not and be in charge and write the music and like hire the people we want to hire and discuss the art and discuss the releases and how we want to release it? And, what you know, right. Like you got to be into the whole thing as opposed to just doing the gig, getting paid, going home. Mm -hmm. You got to be into the whole aspect of having a band, which goes down to like. You know, you know, picking the right flyers for the shows and pick, you know, the colors for the you want on the socks at the merch table. And like, you, you got to be into everything, you know. Mm -hmm. so, and you're saying you're saying verse like having ownership of the band versus being a sideman. Yeah, I mean, being a sideman is great, and we all enjoy doing that. And there's people that do that, and they they love it, and and that's their destiny, you know. Our destiny, we felt after being sidemen, was to play together. We had the option to bond together with a bunch of great musicians that were already best friends, mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of side guys don't have that, you know. That like, and we felt blessed to to, to have that option. Like, hey, you guys want to try like quitting all your gigs and and just be in a band? And we all were like, yes, you know. So when you guys took that hiatus, what, what was the what was the conversation around that? It was like, Hey, like this, the band isn't, isn't monetarily successful right now. Like, well, it was like, Hey, I, I got a gig with the average white band, you know, like <laughs> right. making 1200 a week or whatever I was making then, you know, and it was like, that was big money when we were like 25 or 26, you know? Yeah. So like, and th at that point, everyone's like, okay, you know, they all love the average white band. So it made it easy. You know, it was like mm -hmm. a Deitch can't say no to this. Right. You know, so that's what everyone kind of clicked. Like, I got to, they got to figure out what they're going to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Jesus was already deep in the studio scene, so he was fine with it. Uh, Schmeens, you know, was working in New York, playing every Cafe Wa groove gig you could possibly do. And then he got Robert Randolph and did a bunch of other great things. And then Lady Gaga called and he, he did that for a while. And uh, yeah, everyone, you know, realized they had to do that. So, and that's, you know, that, that's what got us into being sidemen. And it was just a natural progression. Just like, mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're trying to find out who we are. We're in our mid twenties. Like, what are we capable of as individuals, you know? Right. And talk to me about our, in our thirties. So talk, talk about actually like growing the band. Once you guys decided, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go at this. Was it just like, let's just go play every possible show that we can play. Or was there more strategy behind it? I think it's interesting for people listening who have a band who are trying to grow it. Well, I think, uh, you know, getting with a good booking agent was a major, major thing. Mm -hmm. And and having a manager who truly, truly loved the band and cared 
so much for us, you know, as individuals and as a group and wanted us to be out there amongst the other bands touring. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, and, and he wasn't a big time manager. Like you, it was just a friend, right. a promoter friend, you know, uh, you know, and Morgan, you know, and he, and we all grew together and as, as a team and Josh Knight, our agent is just a, an amazing human being. And, and I said, Josh, do you want to, are you into booking this band? Is this something you'd like to do? He goes, Adam, I got to tell you, like, I love this music. I love this band. And I, and I would be more than happy to like dive into it. And, I, and at that point I was like, okay, we have, we have a team. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that was the basis. So, you know, getting out there and doing it on your own can only go so far. I think, I think having a manager that's just like, it could be just a friend that's just good with people. Mm-hmm. He has to have people skills. He can't, can't be too pushy. Can't be, can't have a hot head. Can't curse people out. You know, he's got to be cool. And right. that, that was the main, main thing, you know, and, and that, and, and our relationship with our agent where it was like all love and, and, and we talk all the time and, you know, and we know we're helping him out and his family and, and he knows he's helping us out. And it's like this, you know, two way relationship where, you know, we're all helping each other, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I recommend, I recommend doing your research and like, you know, sending, if you're a young funk band, like find out the agency, you know, uh, how, you know, look them up paradigm, you know, look up C three, look up all these things and, start the, the start the conversation you know like i know guys that waited eight years to get signed by morgan and they said don't worry you're gonna sign me one day you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they got it and now you know they're doing amazing you know so it's like you got to put that work into finding that team at least that manager and that agent that right. that really care about your project mm-hmm. and work sure. them closely and and the, the sky's the limit from there so was Morgan um was Morgan managing other bands before? No. No. So he had to grow with cuz I always think it's interesting when like I grew a band, you know, from nothing to a, a full touring outfit too, and uh-huh. I I always think it's interesting like when people are like, "Well, how did you figure out like, you know, like it there's a big difference between playing at the neighborhood bar and like playing Red Rocks and there's you know, there's techs and there's gear and lighting rigs and trusses yeah. and all this shit that you have to like, oh, yeah. you know, and it's like, how do you figure that? How did, like, how did you guys figure all that stuff out? That was like, how uh, did you yeah. figure out how to, how to like, you yeah, know, I'm going to defer right to Morgan, you know, on that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he, he was aware of all these things. And, um, if he didn't know, he would ask, mm-hmm. he'd ask other managers, he would go to like manager hangs and manager conferences. And when we went to festivals, he would come with us and meet everyone, you know, and hmm. ask questions, ask questions. What did you guys spend on this lighting rig? What, you know, like, uh, how did you like this venue? How did this promoter treat you? Right. Um, and then, you know, everyone talks. If there's a promoter for a club that's not paying everyone, that spreads. <laughs> yeah, pretty quickly. Fast. So it's like, you know, you, you have to ask questions. You got to be keyed in with everybody in, in your lane. Everyone that that's, you know, playing these sort of venues, if you're playing, whether you're playing a hundred person venues or a hundred you know, thousand person, venues, you know, mm-hmm. there's people, other people that have done that before you. And, yep. you know, it's the same thing with drumming. It's like, you know, like 
if you don't ask like how did you do that what was that you know you know to other people you're just going to end up blindly going through life you know for sure so yeah that's i have to defer that you know he did a great job of just getting us to the point where now we know what what you know what a lighting rig costs and now we know like how to throw a proper festival and and what it takes to do that and Mm -hmm. and it's just a learning process you just got to ask questions and research yeah yeah and i think it's i think it's cool when you have uh like we were talking about fish before, like their manager grew with them too. I think it's cool when, the, when a manager grows with you, you know, and it's like, and then they become, you know, they become one of the guys who's, who's managing, a, you know, a, a couple bands and people are like, Oh, I want that guy. And it's like, well, in the beginning he didn't know anything either. Like everyone starts out as a, as an amateur. And, and when you grow together, you know that you have that, that family vibe in the, in the whole organization. Cause it's like, Hey, we, we did this whole thing together. Like we all figured this out together. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I was just, you know, always very very, uh, grateful and I had a lot of gratitude for what they were doing as, you know, as businessmen in the business of lettuce, you Mm -hmm. you know, and and the business of break science, you know, and and my solo career because Morgan had to deal with Schofield. He had to deal with Wyclef. He had to deal, you know, like I'm not good at negotiating. Like, I, I know that's not my strong point. I don't like people telling me my worth is less than what I think it is. Right. So. And that makes me like start to like, uh, you know, kind of I, I just don't enjoy those sort of conversations. So I, I wanted someone to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, you know, he dealt with all of that and it really helped. It just really helped. And, and it just like, you know, he was just my homeboy that was like basically my drum tech in New York. He was when I was doing little gigs for for 15 people with with Borum and, and Schmeens and those guys. You know, I, I did that for like two years in New York City at, at, in the East Village. Mm-hmm. Nobody was there, you know, but some nights I would be so bummed. I would just walk home, you know, and, and leave my drums there. And he would like pack up my kit and bring it to his house for, for me, you know. Huh. But, you know, it just became a relationship that grew into all this. You know, it's like literally a huge part of it, you know, like maintaining a relationship with with people that are working for you and keeping it as cool as possible. Yep, for sure. There was one thing that you mentioned about leaving gigs and be, like being upset, leaving gigs and being bummed because no one, no one was there. I think there's an important lesson there for everyone to hear that, look, it's hard for everyone and everyone goes through these periods of like, and I'm, I, I don't know if you did this or not, but like goes through periods of like, is this ever going to work? Like, yeah, you have these- I felt that from, you know, 16 to 27 you know like mm-hmm. i was like there was a long time where i was like is this gonna work you know like i business wasn't my forefront you know mm-hmm. i didn't even know how to make flyers I, I was like i was so out of it i just thought that oh we're, we're pretty good and we should have an audience you know and like that's not how it works you know hmm. so how did what say that again you cut out are you still there yeah, you cut out there for a minute. What, what I missed you. I missed what you said. Okay, I was just saying that. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah, I was just saying that. You know, yeah, there was a time where I, I felt like it was, you know, I was questioning whether it was going to work for sure. And um, but you have to go through that to appreciate the other side. You know, like like you don't appreciate ten thousand people until you've 
you know, played for 15 people. Mm -hmm. And and that it just makes the appreciation level that much more. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for people who are listening right now that are going through that, that are struggling, self-doubt, sort of limiting beliefs, but don't think it's going to happen for them? Yeah. I mean, if you know, this is something you want to do and like, I, you know, I just knew I, I, I had to do this. I had to play drums and I had to be a professional and I had, I wanted to write and I wanted to create music and be in, and be, uh, and be in bands, you know? Mm-hmm. So I knew that, that, you know, first you decide, is this really what I want? You know, am I going to do this with no backup plan? You know, is, you know, and when you make that decision, you're fully in, you're fully in. And once you're fully in spiritually, you have to start to kind of enjoy the scary moments or the, the unsure moments mm-hmm. in a weird way, in a weird, like almost like masochistic, like, well, you know, we had 10 people at our gig tonight, but, uh, you know, you play your ass off, you know, and, 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 and you make those 10 people tell a hundred people, mm-hmm. you know, if you really care, if you really know you got it, you know, and luckily I had, you know, parents that were, very supportive and like you know a lot of people don't have their parents support mm-hmm. in their music career and which makes it a lot tougher to go, get through those hard times because they hear in the back of their mind their parents going oh you should have a regular job you know all right i told you this wasn't gonna work yeah right right yeah you have to erase all of those doubts that are lingering from an older brother telling you you don't got it or or a family member or a, an ex-girlfriend or whatever it was that gave you any doubt besides your own self, like those have to be blocked out completely. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go f- gung ho and play and play your butt off every night, and um and take a leadership role and take a you know take a leadership role and try to find people that could help and and be around smart people and and ask questions and 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 try to get to the next level by surrounding yourself with the right people. And that goes for any business, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of what you said earlier. Like, if you're trying to do something, someone has already done this. Yeah, you can you can learn you can learn from them. So whether it be you know like drumming, you're trying to figure something out, or like how do you go from being in a van to being in a bus? Like, how do you make that transition? How do you know if you're making the right transition? How do you know when to do it? All that kind of stuff. Like, there's other people who have done this before. It's not it's not like you know we're not we're not reinventing the wheel here. Yeah, like you know, I I have friends from bands that. You know, bands, uh, uh, you know, I don't really know too much of their music, but we're friends on a business level, like, and, fr- uh, you know, we're friends on a friendship level, and I get business advice from them. Right. You know, and, and you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't like that band, but it, uh, why should I be friends with them? It's like, they might have a bit of information you might need, mm-hmm. you know? So there's really no no need to be closed off or let your musical whatever opinions dictate your friendships in this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, like put your musical thing aside. That's your thing. You know, what they do is their thing. And like, you know, there's a chance they could really help you and your thing out. And, you know, a, a close mind, close mindedness gets you nowhere in this industry. Yeah. yeah. Or anywhere in life in general. Bands. And you can't ever, there's no reason to express any sort of negative thing towards any other style of music or any other band. 
because that'll just get you in trouble. You can think it all you want. You don't have to listen to it, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, say, I see people like saying stuff in public or saying stuff around me about other bands. Like, you know, they're messing up. You right. Know? You know, you got to be cool with everybody. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, there's music I don't like. You know, I'm not yeah, gonna sit I'm, there. I'm not gonna like criticize people for it. There's a lot of like drumming stuff that that I don't like. You know, and I'm just like, that's do your thing, man. I, you know, hey, that that's cool. I'm not gonna like talk shit on it. Right, and it's like when I'm reading like you know modern drummer or you know, and there's an article on on a drummer, some death metal guy. I'll read it. It's like it's not my style of music, but like I want to get to know this guy. I want I want to see what his life is about and how he got to that point of, you know, headlining Warp Tour or whatever he was doing you know like mm-hmm. it's all interesting it's all interesting stuff that you know you gotta really research and, and you know put in the time and see how people succeeded yeah do you know why when you tune a drum you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum that's because your drum is flawed i hate to break it to you but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is the typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly so when you tighten down one lug it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side that's why you have to tune it diagonally but now with the new sonic clear edge from mapex that's a thing of the past the sonic clear edge allows the head to sit flush so it promotes ease of tuning increased shell resonance and optimal tonal clarity so you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonic Clear Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. Have you seen the new Promark Select Balance? So Select Balance gives the drummers the ability to fine-tune a standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give an example. If you play rock or country or metal, then you can use the Promark Forward Balance. It gives you enhanced power and speed. But if you play jazz and funk and gospel, then you can use the Rebound Balance. And it gives you rear-weighted balance to give you better finesse and more agility. The best part is they're made by Promark. They control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick, which means you get unmatched level of quality and consistency. Plus, they're always paired by weight and by pitch, so you know that there is zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your bag. Check them out by going to Promark.com. It's always interesting when you read someone who is known for a particular style and like to use your example, you'll read something about someone who plays death metal and and you're like reading through it and they're like, yeah, I grew up listening to like Coltrane and you know what I mean? And and you're like, what? I would have never, you know, and they're like my, my, you know, I was in a funk band for years or whatever it was. You know, it's always funny to me that, that like once you, once you peel back the onion a little bit, you're like, oh, this, this is the total opposite of what I thought this person was going to say, which I always think is really interesting. Exactly. And then, yeah, and like you said, then you then you learn from those things. The one I wanted to talk about, uh, you and I were kind of, we talked briefly on, on uh, Instagram about it. We were talking about uh, Dennis Davis. Yes. And I don't, I have no idea, one, how he was not on my radar. Like, never even, never even heard of him. I'm like embarrassed to say that publicly, but it is what it is. I mean, that, you know, I believe that's him on fame and all, all the big, all the big David Bowie hits, right? Yeah, I mean, he was. More people started commenting on the Instagram post. I mean, they were like, "Oh yeah, he was. He was Bowie's guy." And even when he was playing, uh, I think Benson used him like in the late seventies, which was the video that I was referencing. Like, I always watched this video of George Benson playing Breezin, and I couldn't figure out who it was. I posted the thing, and people were like, "I don't know." And I, for a while, I thought it was Harvey Mason, um, but. 
a guy commented and was like, I went and saw Benson in the late 70s. And he was like, this is the best drummer in the world, Dennis Davis, and we're borrowing him from David Bowie. Yeah, he's a total legend. And his son plays drums for Public Enemy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm spacing his name. I have it on my phone. I haven't talked to him in like years. But his son is an amazing drummer and introduced me to Chuck D and those guys backstage. Wow. And like, it was amazing. Like, I was a super... I used to stay up in my parents' basement to tape their songs off the radio. Like I was like obsessed with them, you know, with nice. like my double cassette deck with the radio yeah. going through it. Like, so like, yeah. So yeah, Dennis Davis, you know, he's a legend. He's a legend. So I, I guess, uh, so he was doing, he did stuff with Bowie and then I, obviously with Benson and I don't know, I don't really know much about his, his other catalog. I wasn't sure how much you knew about him, but I was like, I got to bring this up. Cause we were just talking about it the other day. Um, so, but I'm going to like, I want to dig deeper. And if anyone who's listening, like has some, some deep cuts of, uh, of Dennis Davis, please yeah, he, let me a, know. He's a New York legend. You know, there's a bunch of people that are New York, you know, Lenny White and like, you know, Marcus Miller and like, I, you know, uh, Patrice Russian, like, you know, all, all mm -hmm. those great, Musicians that came out of New York playing all that funk in the in the early '80s, late '70s, early '80s. Mm -hmm. They created a real scene. Omar Hakim was a part of that. Yeah, you know, who's now the head of Berkeley, and and you know, uh, you know that whole scene with the like Brecker Brothers and and you know the Saturday Night Live band, and and you know that that you know Dennis was a huge part of that thing. You know, mm -hmm. and Man. you know when I, they were the consummate professionals. Yeah, you know of the industry when I was growing up that I looked up to, you know, but Dennis was kind of underground. I heard, you know, I heard he had a pretty rocky, you know, rocky existence. I don't know too much about mm -hmm. it, but I definitely know he, you know he had moments where he was struggling, you know, with whatever, with life. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, I think that might've be a reason why we don't know too much about him, but yeah. like, but man, he's on some classic records, and man, he's a legend. Yeah, I, I like I said, I'm like I don't know how this dude never even hit, but never even never even heard his name before, which is crazy. But goes back to what we were talking. Like you learn, you can learn something from anybody, you know. And it's like actually the person who told Kahari Parker, I just had on the podcast, and he's plays with Benson now, and he went and asked the bass player who that was, and then that's how I found out who it was in the first place. So thanks, Kahari, I appreciate you. Uh, so let's talk about this new record, man. So I got a uh, I got an advanced copy. I've been listening to it the last last couple of days, man, and the shit is killing. Uh, so where 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 did you guys record that? Recorded in Colorado, Colorado Sound, um, yeah. nice little studio right by my house. Um, so is the whole band is is the whole band in Colorado? No, just me and the guitar player. The guitar player just had a baby. Uh, he's got a one year old now. Got you. Uh, which means and. Um, she, uh, his wife was pregnant at the time, so we decided to fly everybody out to record in Colorado. We usually record in New York, and it's like, why do that? Like, it's too hectic in New York. It's just too much, mm -hmm. you know, it's just too, it's too crazy. You know, so we, we had a nice, relaxing Colorado session, you know, and, and then we, uh, we mixed in El Paso, um, where uh, Snarky Puppy records and mixes. In El Paso? In El Paso, this amazing, incredible studio. I guess I just would have never thought that you, you know, like, it's yeah, not, it's like it's not it's a like hotbed for. Yeah, it, it's on a uh, 
it's on a pecan pecan tree farm. That's all. That sounds and awesome. It's just been around for like a hundred years, and the the heir to the pecan farm is a diehard music fan and studio owner, Sonic Ranch. Sonic Ranch. Sonic Ranch. Yeah, and you live there, so it's not like you have to get a hotel. They have beds and cooks, and they cook Mexican food. <sighs> So right, it's like I'm going, <laughs> you, you, and you could you could house your your whole family because they have a, a tons and tons of beds. So you could bring you know if you're married with a kid and you want to go record somewhere, go there and like you know live there, and and your family's there, and you're all eating, and it's great, you know. It's amazing. Zero distractions, like nothing is there except a studio and a pecan farm. Nice. So did you guys just live there for a little while? Yeah, we just lived there and and mixed for like weeks. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a really cool spot. Sonic Ranch. Sonic Ranch, man. I'll put that in the show and notes for it's, sure. So it's it's check extremely it out. affordable for the 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 you know the stuff they have there. It's like full gear, full everything, synths and instruments, amps, drums. Like it's incredible. Awesome. So when does the uh, what's the name of the new record? Uh, Elevate. Elevate. So when does that come out? That comes out June 14th. Awesome. So what do you think? I, I think you guys are a different band. Like you guys aren't putting out, you know, singles that you're trying, like pop singles that you're trying to get radio play for, right? So do you do you look at putting out the whole album? Is that something that you think you'll continue to do versus putting out singles? I mean, like, you know, all our favorite records are albums. Mm-hmm. You know, Sly the Family Stone, Earth, Wind, and Fire. They put out records. You know, so we're gonna we're gonna continue that tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I feel like it makes sense for you guys just because one, the style of music that you play, and two, because you are. I know you. I can't speak for the rest of your band, but I know how you are with like you're an album guy. So putting putting all the music together on an album to me, it's like you're you're putting thought behind how all these tunes go together i'm sure exactly. it's a complete thought it's a complete right. thought it brings you into the world my, my hope is that people put the headphones on get comfortable sit on your most comfortable chair or your couch and just go into that world for a minute and just and check out all the ear candy and all the russ elevato mixed it he's like you know he's done all the roots he did all you know er, d'angelo erica badu mama's gun like uh, Roy Hargrove, H Factor, R H Factor, like, jeez, you know this guy is just a genius, and like he was, it was such a far fetched dream to get to work with him. Like, it, I remember the conversation with my sax player. Like, can you imagine if we got Russ for this? Like, how do we get Russ? Can we just find out? It was like just this random thought, you know? Right. And turns out he was like, I'm a fan of you guys. I t- I'm totally down. You know, he was super cool. Like, wow. And it just worked out. So, like, when you hear this record, it's got a lot of little things in there. And, like, he really, you know, it's all analog gear and boxes, weird analog boxes that he's got. And for every effect, there was no plugins used at all. That's awesome. You know, so. That's a record to me. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's an organic, it's it's organic food for your your soul. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite track on there? Uh, my favorite. Oh shit. Um, I really like this. I really like this tune, "Purple Cabbage." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was listening to that this morning. 
Yeah, it's sort of like a extension of like our song Phyllis and like kind of where we're taking the band, like kind of incorporating more of the, you know, Dilla hip hop thing into the funk mm-hmm. and having, you know, like a memorable horn line. Like I've heard I've people have sent me videos of like New Orleans parades with like second line bands, like real second line bands playing Phyllis in the streets. That's amazing. You know, which which gave me like, a you know, an amazing feeling knowing that like these melodies can work over anything, you know, or over any style, you know? Yeah. So we're just trying to incorporate some like different beats and different swings on the beats. And like, I don't want to bore anyone with the same groove all night. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's up to me to like spend a couple hours on the drums and like think of new grooves that I haven't played yet. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, I, that, you know, either it's like, based off something like a Garibaldi thing or it's based off of a go-go thing or whatever it is, like mix, mix those two things together and create something else, like add, add to it. So that's where we're at. And I'm really excited about how this record came out. What does that process look like for you when you're, when you're practicing, whether it be you're practicing to, and you're trying to write for a record or you're just practicing in general to try to like, like you said, if you go in, if you go in and you're like, all right, I'm going to try sort of like this Garibaldi thing, do like a Dilla Garibaldi thing. Like how, do, how does that process work for you? I'm always interested to hear that creative process. Um, yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, uh, basically like sometimes I'll be practicing on the drums and I'll come up with a beat that I'll be like, Oh wow, th- this should be a song. And instead of just stopping there, I'll re-record it into pro tools, come up with a baseline, come up with a guitar part. Even if it's like the simplest, most elementary thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, if it's one bar of me barely getting through it um, and I'll do like keyboard horns, like some pl- Pro Tools plug in horns and and, you know, plug in organ and I'll make a demo with the live drums mm-hmm. and then I bring that to the band and, you know, I would say uh, six out of ten times they want to record it. They want it to be a letter song. And it used to be like one out of 10, you know, <laughs> but I, I, it, it, you know, whenever they sort of go, ah, eh, that's not really us. You know, I, I go, I, you know, it makes me like motivated to, to write something even better. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't get crushed if they don't like a tune that I wrote, you know, right. and that, that's a big part of it. Letting shit roll off, you know, without creating a fight about it. You know, yeah. because sometimes drummers have all this music in, in, in their soul and in their head and they're and they're afraid of getting shot down by the band. And mm-hmm. they're afraid of their ego getting crushed by the guitar player going, ah, I don't like this tune, you know, which to me is like that just fuels the fire. You of know? coming back and be like, I'll, I'll come up with something that you do like. Yeah, I, I, I know where you're at. So I, I, it makes me study them more. What, and I find out their influences who they like, like who they, you know, what they like to play, what register the horns like to play in, what style, like, so I got more into, you know, and then I researched like Duke Ellington, how he used to like, you know, he used to write everyone's uh, name on the chart because mm-hmm. he knew like it would fit them perfectly. That's cool. So I just got into that, you know, I just started creating on Pro Tools, send them demos. Sometimes it'll start with, a, I'll be walking out here a bass line or a horn line in my head, and then I'll do the drum beat to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then sometimes people will bring a groove in 
you know, like Shmeans will have a, a great tune and he's like, just play this beat. And, I, and I'm fine playing that beat because that's, you know, he appreciates that I will bring his t- his tune to fruition, you know, right. in in a proper way without force feeding my Garibaldi, uh, you know, Mike Clark, Dilla thing on it. Whatever, you know, it's like, right. what did he, what was his vision for the drums on this? You know, mm-hmm. like, so, I, I, you know, it's kind of like from years of being a sideman. I kind of know how to fulfill a vision of of what an artist wants. Mm-hmm. So I tr- I treat all my guys like top level artists that that need something. So if, if they you know I'm trying to fulfill their 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 dream for that song. And yeah, I, and that's I, an interesting I, way of looking at it. I want that in return. I, I ask that in return. Sure. And they, and they do that. So we have this beautiful way of writing together where it's like we all bring tunes and we all decide is this something we want to get into, mm-hmm. and then and then we try to bring it to, to, you know, to life. Right. What about, what about when you're practicing just, just to practice and, you know, just expand your, uh, your, your playing, what does your, what are your practice routines typically look like? Um, or are you mainly, are you mainly practicing for, to write grooves or, you know, to write tunes? Well, this takes me back to, uh, to living in Denver and having a house where I can practice in. Mm-hmm. For years, I would get off tour in, in New York and go back to my little apartment, and and not play. Right. And I would go out and see music all the time, get inspired, and I have to wait till I went back out to play again. Which, in retrospect, it really hurt my drumming. You know, it really like. I feel like, from the past four years, where I've had ha- a house in Denver. I've gotten a lot better, man. I've just like, I, I'm on that kit. It's always there. Yeah. Like I, my bed is ne- near my kit. Right. So I wake up and it's looking at me like, come on, man, let's go. You know? Yeah. And sometimes I'll just like, I won't even go, it's time for me to practice. It's practice time. It's like, it's not about that. It's like, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to sit down. Like, you know, finish a, finish a phone call, finish a TV show. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to play for an hour. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like I'm trying to develop themes. Like I'm into that like Billy Martin kind of thing where it's like where, when you sit down, it should always be music. Yeah. You know what I mean? It should never yeah. be like a mindless thing. You know, for every exercise you could do on the drums to strengthen a limb or strengthen your endurance, there's something musical you could do. You know, whether playing a samba with your feet and playing all your rudiments while you're playing the samba. Mm-hmm. Or a songo uh, kick drum pattern, you know, one e and a two e and a one e and a two e, uh, you know, that with your kick, and you practice all your stuff with your hands on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, doing an ostinato inverted paradiddle or paradiddle with your hands, um, you know, right hand on a hi hat, left, you know, left left hand on the, on the snare, and then doing all your bass drum stuff, uh, you know, as you know, against that, you know, so. Mm-hmm. I, I, I practice that way a lot and I set up my micro core. I have this little synthesizer with like arpeggiators on it mm-hmm. and uh, I put it by the kit and I put the headphones on and now I put that on as sort of a glorified musical metronome. Right. And I'm pra- I'm playing along with that, you know, and um, as opposed to click, 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 you know, <laughs> and right. it, it, I think it brings out, more musical ideas 
when you're trying to take a solo over that or, or practice your new 30 second note thing that you saw Aaron Spears do on Instagram yesterday or right, you know, or like whatever it is, you know, like, you know, Eric Moore, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I just, I love taking stuff and trying to adapt it and then try to just make it somehow musical to my ear. Yeah. I mean, and this isn't, this is, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you right now, but everything I've, I've always loved your playing because of that specifically, like everything that you play or put out or any drum solo that I've ever seen, every song, you know, like every lettuce record, every, it's all like, it's all musical. And I've always, I've always aspired and, and pushed myself towards that, like to, to play like you, like, I'm not trying to play exactly like you, obviously, but I've always, I've always pushed to like move in that direction. You've always inspired me to do that because I've always seen that in your playing. I really appreciate you saying that, man. It means a lot. And I mean that I'm not just, you know, I'm not, no, like I said, I'm not saying that because I'm talking to you right now. That That's super cool, man. And, and I, I take zero credit for it because I got to give all of it to my parents, you know, cause they're, they're just music heads. They're, they're, they're both drummers. Right. But like, I don't even know if they know how to change a drum head. Like, you know, like, like, <laughs> right. like, like, do they know how to tune a, a, a kit? Barely. I, I go home and I tune their kit for them. Like they're, they're kind of like so into music and fulfilling what drums should do in music, you know, right. like, and they both play piano. They, my dad plays bass guitar, plays regular guitar. Um, my mom can teach 14 different, uh horns like brass and woodwinds um yeah they're just like super into it so you know i just it was so normalized in my household to be like that and to 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 appreciate like my dad was like in college getting his master's when i was in high school and he was studying classical composition and, and and classical harmony and 12 tone systems and like and he made it seem so fun and cool. Like, like, you know, that's how they do it. They always make it seem fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just made me want to learn more about that. And I ended up like really studying classical stuff. That's why when we did the, the lettuce with the symphony recently, like last year, we did a, a whole, you know, we had a, a 60 piece orchestra with us. Yeah. And, you know, I wrote, you know, a couple arrangements for it. And like, it, it just like kind of fell into place. It felt like natural, you know, cause like, you know, I, I really, you know, you, you got to know your, your eras, you got to know the difference between, you know, Vivaldi and like, you know, uh, you know, Mastorsky and like, you know, it, like mm-hmm. there's all kinds of different things, you know, it, it, it's just like any music. You got to know the difference between your rock and your hip hop and, Within every genre is tons of different things, you know. So I'm just into it all, and I feel like, you know, I want to live as long as I can to learn as much as I can, you know. That's right. all it's about. But this, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's not. It's way more than drums, you know. Yeah, I I've always said it, like, it sounds weird saying this, so I don't want anyone to get like offended or anything. But I realized after starting this podcast and now, you know, doing almost 500 interviews, I was like, I'm not really into drum stuff. I'm just, I just love music. I just happen to be a, I just happen to be a drummer. 
Right, exactly. We're musicians you know? who who choose to to perform the function of drums. Yeah. Within music, you know, because that appeals to our soul, and we know we can control the feeling and emotion of the piece. Mm-hmm. You know, by with dyna- with the most dynamic instrument, the loudest and the quietest thing. You know. Yeah. And using dynamics and 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 by knowing the song and knowing the melody and the bass line. And the musicians that are playing that, we could really play the drums on another level. Mm-hmm. And How do you think what... that? Go ahead. No, I said that's what makes it fun. Oh, yeah. How how do you think people can get out of that headspace of like? Again, I've seen it, and I've even done this myself. Where you're like, all right, I'm gonna like music. Let me think musically, play musically. You sit down, and it's like lick, 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 chops, <laughs> lick, or whatever. You know what I mean? Or it's like, but I mean, if you're playing some expansive fusion. I mean, yeah. yeah, like go there, you know, like right. But is but, there? But do you have advice for for people who want to play more musically, or like how to get out of the how to get out of the technical headspace and into the the musical headspace when you're playing or practicing? Um, I mean, it's it's like it depends on what you're playing, man. If you if you're in a Led Zeppelin cover band. And you're throwing in a bunch of like super double bass chops. I recommend you go back and listen to Mr. John Bonham mm-hmm. and check out his vocabulary on in that music. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you're on a funk gig and you're playing Sissy Strut by the meters and you're throwing in like modern, like gospel 32nd note things you might want to check out Zig, you know, mm-hmm. and like kind of like learn to love what Zig did, you know, like and that way when you're playing that music, you're paying the ultimate tribute to what they did. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, look at the music that you're playing and look at what the forefathers did. I'm not saying copy them. I'm saying, unless you're in a cover band, then yeah, copy them, you know? Right. Um, if you're in a band, you know, it depends on, it totally is style, style dependent. And, and for every style, there is an appropriate thing to do. Mm-hmm. And unless you're really creating your own thing and you're on some like futuristic, I don't play any, I don't play, I'm playing the year 3000 music, which I applaud. You know, that's like JD Beck right now, you know, yeah. like, like what, what year did he get beamed from? You know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You know, you know, planet black dynamite, you know, <laughs> you know, so he's just like, he, he's a beast and he doesn't sound like anybody to me. He sounds like he's creating a style, you know, yeah. that's more electronic based, like drum machine based, you know what I mean? But it's mm-hmm. on a kit, it's on a kit, it's on acoustic kit, you know? So, you know, for, you know, so he doesn't really have any rules cause he's kind of create, he's kind of pushing forward with it, you know, Mark Juliana. I was just about to say him. Yep. You know, he comes from jazz. He comes from bebop school. You know, he went to school with our trumpet player and they, they were bebop heads and they were swinging all day. Mm-hmm. But now, now you hear Mark and he's playing future music. He's like, you know, the same thing with Zach Danziger, who's like kind of like all of our uncle when it comes yeah. to like being futuristic with your style, you know, like. And the stuff he's doing now with like videos and he's like triggering video and all kinds of stuff in the in what he's playing. It's when nuts. we look back on Zach's body of work, when it's all said and done, it's going to be quite impressive and like, 
and he's super humble. Like we just hung out at the Zildjian event. You know, I did that, that Zildjian hip hop event mm-hmm. and he was super humble and like just telling us stories about his life and like, he's really funny and open. You, have you done, have you worked with him yet? Have you done an interview? Yeah, I had him on here and then I had uh, me, him, Dave Elitch and uh, Don Labardi from DW had dinner one night. Cool. Which was, cool. Which was yeah. super cool. Yeah. I had a great experience with him. Like, I, you know, cause we never hung out really and he didn't really know who I was and like, he didn't understand the level of respect I had for his whole game, you know? Yeah. That's another thing for young cats. It's like, you know, always show respect. Always show respect. Like, like you know, like like Steve Ferroni, I, I commented on his Instagram the other day because he put an average white band video up. Mm-hmm. Because he's always posting Tom Petty. I'm like, okay, okay, I love Tom Petty. He's great. But like, you are the guy from average white band. You're like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. As a funk head, I'm, it's, I'm very partial to his playing with average white band. So he posted a, a video of them in like 76 or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, I said something like, you're the goat. You know, I put like a bunch of trophies on there and he sent me back like a, a fist, you know? Right. Like a pound, you know? And I was like, so blown away, you know, just like, just to, just to have contact with him like that yeah. was enough yeah. for me to man inspired. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's just like showing respect to the elders, man. Like, and it, and it never stops. It's like it's all a constant thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I got sidetracked. I don't know what we're talking about. No, I think that this is all. Of this is uh, extremely important information because I think a lot of times it's easy to like get up, get caught up in our own game, and believe that you know we're better than we are, or that like we've done something that other people haven't done. You know, right. and it's like, it's, I think it's easy for people to, to get a big head quickly and you got to remember, you know, all right, you may be able to like play this stuff, but this cat or, you know, even invented it or is the, you know, one of the originators of this stuff or, you know, whatever, like you might be able to play some funky, like Oakland stuff, but like, it's not, you know, Dave Garibaldi invented it. Uh, yeah. You know? He totally is the inventor. And my goal <laughs> is, to, is to bring attention to what he did. And to yeah. what, not just what he did, because he's a pretty famous drummer. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's on the Mount Rushmore of funk. But like, oh, you know, what about Tiki Fullwood? What about like, you know, like Frankie Cash Waddy? You know, like, um, two cats uh, that I, I that I don't know who they are. Like th- those are two guys that that like built the P funk and funkadelic world. Mm-hmm. You know, th- they were the guys that were playing live with George and Bootsy and, and throughout all that funky stuff, you know, huh. um, George funky Brown, yeah, you know, it's cool in the gang, man. Like mm-hmm. go back way before Rosanna and celebration. And you're going to find the funkiest music of all time, you know, with the old cool in the gang. I had this cool in the gang compilation. Like, so it's our job to bring to attention, like Gaylord Birch, for instance, like nobody knows this guy. He's one of the greatest, you know, Bay Area drummers ever play with the Pointer Sisters. Yes, you can, can. Yes, you can, can. He yeah. played on Yes, you can. Like, he's the drummer on that. It's one of the first hip hop beats ever. Like, triplet based swing, 92 BPM hip hop beats, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just want to bring more attention to guys like that and, you know, that deserve it and the, and the forefathers. Yeah. Well, you're definitely, you're carrying the torch, my man. I will Thanks, say that. Bro. I will Try say out. that. 
so for everyone, the record is coming out at the end of June. Check it out. It's called Elevate. This is the new record from Lettuce. And I, guess, I know you guys are going to be on the road. So you can go to Lettuce Funk to check that out. And where's the best place to find you online? Follow you on Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, yeah. go to my Insta, Daisha Adam. It's at Daisha Adam. And uh, Twitter, it's... Uh, what is my Twitter? <laughs> I, don't I don't even know. Is it real real Deitch? Real Deitch Beats? Real Deitch Beats, I think. Real Deitch Beats. There you go. Pretty sure we'll have to double check that. But uh, or just or just Google them. You can find them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. But yeah, I'm definitely like on, on the gram a lot these days. So holler, holler at me over there. If you have any questions about anything in the industry or whatever, you can always hit me up there. And um, you know, and always like always support support bands that are in your lane you know instead of competing with that band that that has that slot support them like show your audience that you're down with with their movement you know mm-hmm. regardless of, regardless if they show it back yeah you know because it's going to come back to you it's called karma yeah you know so yeah. you, you want to you, you show love man That's it's a lot about. easier to go out there and ask for people ask for people to support your stuff when you're out there supporting them too so exactly exactly yeah. you know agree my man well, Adam, yes, dude, thank you for one appearing on the podcast for the second time. Two, going through all the the technical difficulties to uh, to make this happen, and I just I always appreciate your time, your your expertise, your knowledge, your uh, your love for for music, and like I said, carrying that that torch of all the stuff that you and I are see see eye to eye on with a lot of this music. So I'm I'm glad that you're out there, uh, you know, keeping yeah. keeping it alive. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Talk to you, Nick.
There you have it, the one and only Adam Deitch. And for all the show notes, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 493. Make sure you're following us on Instagram, on Facebook, and you're signed up for the mailing list so you don't miss the 500th episode giveaway announcement. You can, you'll can you be able to enter to win for that. And also, if you love the podcast, do me a favor, leave a rating or a review on iTunes. I appreciate it. It makes me feel all warm and fuzzy, and it's free for you, and it takes you about a minute. So I'd appreciate that. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.